Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Wednesday. It is hump day. Uh, we're halfway through the work week. Weekend's just around the corner. Fantastic show planned for you today. Uh, we're going to stay on the topic of the week because I just think it has so much uh, significance. We're going to have, uh, I'm going to broaden the conversation about Tucker Carlson and what it signifies. I, those of you that want to complain or, you know, hey, NFL draft is uh, tomorrow. Steve Kim and I will talk about the NFL draft. Uh, there will be a separate piece of content uh, of me and Steve Kim talking about the draft and talking about some things going on in the sports world. But today's show, once again, I have to focus on this issue because I think it is so significant and has so many layers and tentacles to it. And I've got some great guests that are going to help me uh, broaden this discussion and talk about what it is we should do next. One issue that I've been dying to talk about is Christian nationalism. Is that a solution for us? Is, is it a good thing or a bad thing? We're gonna interview uh, Stephen Wolf today. He wrote the book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. He's uh, had a tweet out earlier this week uh, or late last week that caused uh, some concern from Virgil Walker, who comes on this show all the time, uh, and Daryl Harrison, who partners with Virgil on a, on a podcast uh, from a biblical perspective. They didn't like this tweet, the tweet that's on screen that basically says white evangelicals are the lone bulwark against uh, the moral insanity in America. Again, I wasn't that bothered by it. Uh, I was more concerned than offended uh, by the tweet. But we're going to talk to Stephen Wolf. Virgil Walker's going uh, to come in after uh, I have a discussion with Stephen Wolf, and we'll get Virgil's thoughts and breakdown of Stephen Wolf, our interview, and of just Christian nationalism. Virgil and G3 Ministries have some concerns. I don't know where I stand on this. This is one of the reasons why I want to talk to Stephen Wolf, and it's one of the reasons I can't wait to talk to Virgil about my interview with Stephen Wolf. Uh, the other thing we're going to do today is, uh, and that's before we get to the Christian nationalism interviews, is we're going to talk to, and, I, and when he gets on here, he'll have to help me. You guys know uh, one of my weaknesses is uh, pronouncing, fun. it took me three years to pronounce Giannis Antetokounmpo's name correctly. I struggled for three years. Uh, there's a minister in North Carolina named John Amachuku. Amachukwu, he will tell me, he'll help me out here with the pronunciation of his name, but he has a powerful video out speaking, I think, to city council or school board uh, that, that is very powerful, caught my attention. I was like, who is this dude? And, and everybody that I knew or I know knew exactly who he was. I'm seeing the video and seeing him speak so boldly and prophetically to the school board in North Carolina, I'm the only guy that wasn't aware that this guy was a phenom, uh, had been on Tucker Carlson's show, was, was literally, when I'm tweeting out, uh, who is this guy, T.J. Mose texted me, I know exactly who he is. He just spoke at my church this morning. Uh, and, and, you know, he's a big fan of the show, so John's going to come on the show. I get former North Carolina State football player turned minister, 
this guy's got a lot to say, and maybe uh, he'll be able to point us a direction of where do we go from here? And, and that's kind of the nature of, of my conversation that I want to set the uh, table for today, and, and it's going to be an ongoing conversation on this show. Where do we go from here? This Tucker Carlson firing has so many layers to it, and people have been emailing me and or calling me with their theories about, hey, what's this about? Uh, someone this morning emailed me and said, hey, Jay, I, I think... Uh, he's being silenced because Fox News or, or the Fox News settled that Dominion lawsuit for $787 million. And settling that quickly sets a horrible precedent for Newsmax and OAN and any of these other conservative media outlets that Dominion or Smart Tech may go after. And if, if they have not a $787 million judgment, they have a $100 million judgment against them. It could wipe them out and, and could leave Fox News as the only conservative network standing on your, tele, on your traditional uh, uh, television networks. And so the argument is that like, they're not afraid of losing Tucker because they're about to have the conservative talk space on TV all to themselves. They're, they're arguing that conservatives will have no place to go. Well, part of my uh, take on this is that conservatives already don't have any place to go. And particularly if you're a Christian, I don't like being called a conservative because I'm really not. I just have a biblical worldview. I want to be called and judged as a Christian. It really bothers me when I see uh, newspaper stories or internet stories or media stories written about me that call me a conservative sports pundit. And, and that's the lie that they're telling the audience and viewers and the public is that They've, they've made the word conservative hyper-negative, and so they hit people like me with a conservative label. Oh, that means you can di uh, we can dismiss this guy. I've never voted. I've, tr I've avoided a political identity. I'm not hyper-partisan. And so what I would love to see in any article written about me, if you have to add an adjective to describe me, Christian sports writer. They don't want you to identify me that way because that would make other Christians, particularly black Christians, stop and think, oh, this is what a Christian sports writer thinks. This is what a Christian culture critic thinks. That's who I am. How I get labeled a conservative when I've never voted, when, when I'm clearly not hyper-partisan until these last couple of years when it became so clear that the left is, you know, satanic, wants to kill babies, wants to sexualize babies. I have no choice as a Christian but to stand against them when their platform is about protecting a woman's right to kill a baby 
all the way until the last month, all up, all the way up until delivery day. And then out in California, they're talking about being able to kill your baby after delivery. I have to stand against that as a Christian, not as a conservative. But they don't want us identifying as a Christian. The most rebellious thing you can do is call yourself a Christian. If you really want to rebel, if you're really anti-establishment, because the establishment has turned hyper-secular. And so it, 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 we've been having this argument in America about misgendering and dead naming transgender people. Just think that through. Guy's born with a stick and balls. He doesn't have those stick, he doesn't have that stick and balls removed. He insists that he's a woman. And you can be called transphobic and run out of a job and ostracized and smeared if you call a man with stick and balls a man. Oh, you've misgendered him. But they can misidentify me at their own discretion, with no ramifications. A man that's never voted constantly gets called a conservative when all I am is a Christian. That should tell you how dangerous being a Christian is. They don't even want to properly identify me by the identity that I have chosen. A man with a stick and balls, if he chooses to be a woman, they insist that you respect that. I choose to be a Christian. There's no insistence that anybody respect that. They call me a conservative. And so I'm saying all this because of all the different that guy emailed me uh, this morning and argued that. <clears throat> Uh, Fox News fired Tucker Carlson. It's part of a plot to get Donald Trump back in the White House. And, and the guy wrote it up and clearly believes it. He has this whole theory that, you know, uh, this is all about riling up Trump's base. And, and you know, that's why they removed Tucker Carlson. It, it's preposterous to me. And so when I first heard this other theory, I saw Vanity Fair wrote about it and other people have picked it up that Tucker Carlson's heritage speech, where he talked about uh, taking 10 minutes every day to pray for the country. And when he made it crystal clear that he is a believer and that and anybody that has watched me appear on Tucker's show or we just watch Tucker Carlson. We've been watching this man evolve into a man of religious convictions, of faith. We've been watching him start to identify himself as a Christian and a believer. And so when he gets to heritage and starts talking about, well, you know, the solution, if we could just take 10 minutes a day to pray, that, that I've watched in real time over the past three to four years as Tucker Carlson has grown comfortable in his faith and grown aware 
that there is a spiritual battle going on in America, that there is a battle of good versus evil. And, and I'm not saying this uh, to toot my own horn. I'm just speaking factually. Tucker has told me, others have told me that have watched this play out, that my appearances on Fox News and my uh, insistence over the last three to four years to point out the wickedness and the, the demonic, satanic nature of what's going on and this embrace of secularism and how th this embrace of secularism is the enemy of truth and that God is the author and the arbiter of truth. And that's why there's so much hostility to truth. And so Vanity Fair and other media outlets have said that Rupert Murdoch <coughs> and people on the board didn't like Tucker Carlson talking about praying for this country. Let's play the clip. Maybe we should all take just like 10 minutes a day to say a prayer about it. I'm serious, like why not? And I'm saying that to you, not as some kind of evangelist, I'm literally saying that to you as an Episcopalian. The Samaritans of our time. I'm coming to you from the most humble and lowly theological position you can. I'm literally an Episcopalian, okay? And even I have concluded it might be worth taking just 10 minutes out of your busy schedule to say a prayer for the future, and I hope you will. So that's Tucker Carlson concluding his speech at Heritage. That's on Friday. He shows up Monday thinking he's going to do a show. And from the reports I've heard, Suzanne Scott, who runs Fox News now, who's the successor to Roger Ailes, you know, calls him in and says, or calls him and says, your last show was Friday, uh, you're done here. And, and all the reports, and, and my understanding is that Tucker Carlson's still under contract and that Fox is, seems comfortable with paying him just to keep him off the air. And, and we've had people, Carrie Lake came on the show yesterday and said, look, this is all part of taking off the populist view off of mainstream corporate television, that this is all a part of bringing down Donald Trump. And, and because, whether Tucker Carlson's a Donald Trump supporter or not, Tucker Carlson has been the voice of MAGA people. Look at his handling of January 6th. Look at the January 6th tapes and how he went caped up for QAnon shaman and embarrassed those people for two days. And I said, when there was no day three of the January 6th tapes, I was like, oh boy, there's problems in paradise. They have shut Tucker Carlson down. And, and, and what's happened, when you open your eyes and understand that everything you have ever loved about this country is a result of its biblical foundation and of those founding documents being laced with biblical values and principles, that's where our freedom comes from. When you look at the Declaration of Independence and they start talking about our inalienable rights come from God, our creator. 
That's what has laid the foundation to make this country the envy of the world. And so you could be an Episcopalian and, and, and a, a lax Christian, or you can be even a non-believer. But if your eyes aren't opening to the fact that those biblical values is, are what made this country great, and if you can't understand the only way to save this country and return it to what it once was is to embrace God and return to God and start leaning into a biblical worldview and leaning into insisting an identity that's not political, not sexual, not gender oriented, not career oriented. I've been right where Tucker Carlson is today with Fox, with Fox Sports. And there's a multitude of reasons why I left. A multitude. And I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that there was no financial implications for why I left Fox Sports. But all of that was triggered by my desire to do a show that allowed me to say what I really, really believe. All of it was, was that's what triggered. And I was like, hey, this is nice money. This is very good money. This is more money than I dreamed ever. When I was a little kid living in the ghetto in Indianapolis, I, I had no intentions of, when I graduated Ball State, I literally said, oh man, I'll make $70,000 a year. That's going to be incredible, and I'll just be writing and talking about sports. I had no idea that I would ever make seven figures a year. And so, but when I did the math and did the calculus in my own mind of, hey, can I, am I comfortable sitting on TV and biting my tongue and participating in these little soft lies that you have to tell? Or, or am I going to be put in a position where I can tell the truth from my perspective and lean into my Christian values and have a discussion about the sports world and about culture that's consistent with my Christian worldview? And, and so when I looked at the money that they were willing to pay me, and yes, for the overwhelming majority of people, it's a lot of money. But it wasn't enough to convince me that I would have the freedom to do what I really wanted to do and what TV really needs done. And so I walked and I said, you know what? I'm going to do a leap of faith and stand on my own two feet and build my own way so that I can stick to the truth and stick to a biblical worldview. I think that's where Tucker Carlson is. I, I, I don't think, you know, he planned on uh, getting fired or getting parked the way that he has been. But I think he's been in an ongoing feud with Fox News, Suzanne Scott, the Murdochs, uh, Paul Ryan, who's on their board, and all these never Trump people. He's been in an ongoing feud with them about, hey, man, I'm just going to follow the truth wherever it leads because that's what I have to do as a Christian and an American citizen and someone who loves this country and wants my kids to grow up in a country 
that isn't run by Marxists and isn't run by the alphabet mafia and drag shows and, and transgenderism and just lies. You know how much pressure, and again, I, I don't want to beat up the people at Fox Sports. There's a lot of good people at Fox Sports, but there's a lot of cowardice also. There's a lot of, 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 of just go along to get along. There's a lot of, of, hey, it's my job to make sure no one complains. And so when you want to go on TV in the sports world and tell the truth that Colin Kaepernick is an idiot with no substance, and, and he's controlled by Marxists, and he's having an identity crisis, and, and, and he wants to have his black moment. There's no substance to it. That's the honest to God truth. Everybody knows it. Every, every black person I know knows someone like Colin Kaepernick who's desperately out trying to get into a drive-by shooting and get enough tattoos and enough corn rolls so that someone will say, oh man, you Tupac Shakur. Colin Kaepernick, a fraud. And I wanted to say that because it's the truth. And I, I wanted to stand against what he was doing to the National Football League and the sports world. That caused a lot of cowards and a lot of people headaches because that creates a lot of blowback. I just wouldn't go along with the narrative. And so I was constantly in this friction of, oh man, people are calling and complaining about Whitlock and they had some woman in charge of, of some aspect of Fox Sports that, you know, balls ain't heavy enough, don't have balls to deal with the blowback that I create. And it's in their nature to make peace and to think that it's their job to make sure no one calls and complains when you stand on truth. And so I'm sure that's what Tucker Carlson's been dealing with. His religious conviction, his faith in God, his understanding of American history, his understanding of our founding documents compelled him to stand on truth and be a voice for people that the elites don't want to have a voice. That, that's the issue. They don't want you, the working class, the believers, the traditional Americans, they don't want you to have a voice. They want you to bow down and get on board with this Marxist, communist, elitist, secular, godless agenda. And the question becomes, what should we do in reaction? I, I, I said this yesterday. I feel really strong that I'll never watch Fox News again. And, and basically, I don't know if I'm going to watch much TV. I, I, I'm, I like watching sports still. I hate to admit that, but it is true. I like watching sports. There's stuff I have to watch in order to do my job and to be able to observe and analyze the culture. But in every other way, I can come out from among them. That's what I'm doing. These people are satanic. These people want to sexualize your kids, groom your kids, 
for their sexual perversions. They, they don't want to tell you who's on the Epstein list. They don't want to talk about all the money they're blowing and spending in Ukraine. They want to lie on the people on January 6th and pretend like they were more violent than all the peaceful, looting, burning, murdering police uh, people during the summer of George Floyd. They just want to stuff lies down all of our throats. And lies are the enemy of God. And so I respect Tucker Carlson from coming out from among them, from, for drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm not doing it. I've been there. I have so much respect for him. And I, I need us as fearless men and women, as believers, more than anything, as Christians, we have to muster the courage of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. We have to come up from among them and be separate from them. Our, our minds and bodies and spirits are rigged for acceptance. And so it's very hard to come out from among them if you don't understand God offers you acceptance. You don't need the acceptance of the world. And so when you reconfigure your mindset, you're not worried about being popular in the world. You're not worried about making $3 million in the world for telling lies and half-truths. You know that God will provide. You know that you're capable of building something and providing for yourself that allows you the opportunity to speak truth and to stand on those biblical values. And so I, I'm begging my audience, don't turn on Fox News. Don't turn on any of it, any of it. And again, I'm not negative against Newsmax or OAN and all, but, but that world is polluted and corrupt. Obviously, CNN and MSNBC, there are platforms like The Blaze that are out here for us to use and digest the world from that perspective. It's very accessible over your laptop, it's accessible over your iPad, it's accessible over your, your, your smartphone. Now is the perfect time to get a Blaze TV subscription. Get a subscription. I'm not pandering and selling this for the Blaze. I'm telling you, it's the right thing to do. I was talking to uh, one of my good friends uh, over the weekend, and, and he, he's in the tech space. He's, you've seen me talk about him, the guy Slickit. They built the approval rating app. And, and he's been making the point to me for months, like, hey man, you can't use their satanic platforms and expect good results. And that's what Slickit and, and Mac and these guys and other people have been to alternative platforms. YouTube is not our friend. YouTube's done something to our algorithm where we get about 24 hours worth of views and then they do something to make sure that far less people digest whatever content we put out. This whole thing is rigged up. I'm asking you all to help me fight the algorithms and all that other stuff, but I'm asking you more today about sign up for that Blaze TV subscription. 
We have to come out from among them. Have to. If we stand with them, we're going to be swallowed by their values. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. Hey, by the way, uh, roll call merchandise, if you weren't able to make it a roll call or if you were able and you weren't able to get the merch you wanted, the sweatshirts, the hoodies, the T-shirts, the dog tags, whatever, uh, quantities are, are limited, but they're available at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Tennille, uh, she watches over YouTube. I haven't forgotten about you. I'm going to get you a little promo code so you can get half off that bomber jacket you want. I've been making a little mental note. I'll say something to these guys today. But the rest of you all, uh, go to shopblazemedia.com. Get your uh, roll call merchandise. Uh, John Amatuko, <laughs> or I'm going to ask John to say his last name uh, when we come back. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, as promised, John Amanchuku uh, is going to join us next. He's a minister in North Carolina. He's a former North Carolina State football player. He's written a book, Erased, uh, that go- Erased, spelled R-A-C-E-D, uh, that goes right at critical race theory, uh, founder of the Erased Project. And he's a guy that I discovered over social media when I saw this clip of him speaking at a school board meeting. Let's play the clip. I want to define something for you tonight. Definition for pervert. It means to lead someone away from what is considered right, natural, or acceptable. This book has been permitted in six schools in the Wake County public school system. This book explicitly details anal sex, blowjob tips, a response to a letter about gay sex, and BDSM. I'll read just a little bit of this perversion. So he bends me over the bed and drizzles some lube on my ASS. I made him wear a condom, of course, and he starts pushing it in. Use your lungs to suck, not your lips pull. You're not trying to yank the D-I-C-K off with your mouth. You're trying to make it feel good. Use your tongue. Doesn't it make you cringe? You don't like it. You don't want to hear it aloud. You don't want anyone to read it. The question today is, who is the pervert that's allowing this to be purchased and delivered to our libraries? Come out, come out from wherever you are. Who are you? You don't have to answer that question. We know who the perverts are. There's one political party in this country that supports this junk. It's the Democrat Party. You all have signed off on this and it needs to be removed from every school. Right, your time is up, sir. Our next County. speaker. John, I saw that clip and I was like, who is this? And dozens of people was like, I know exactly who it is. And T.J. Moe says, hey, you spoke about church this morning. Uh, John, uh, thank you uh, for joining us. Give me a little bit of your background. Where did you get that passion, that fire, that energy? How long you been how long you been at this? 
So I'm a member of the Upper Room Church of God in Christ. I serve under Bishop Patrick Lane Wooden Sr. The fervor and the courage that I have and that I possess comes from sitting on under the greatest man of God, my senior pastor. He has been the one that has given me the direction and the know-how and the ability to be able to proclaim God's truth by sitting at his feet for the past 20 years. I remember while I was in college, I had a prayer group in the racquetball room of NC State's um, campus. And on Tuesday nights, I led a, a prayer group and a Bible study. And so God has given me the wherewithal to stand strong and contend for the faith. And I'm just um, passionate about these issues, and we need to continue to talk about them. How did that school board react uh, to your comments? Well, they had rocks in their jaws. Here's the reality. This book that I'm holding up right here is the exact book that I came and talked about. It's Jack of Hearts and Other Parts. This book is trash. It's filth. And the Wake County Public School System, along with other school systems around the country, they are all talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I call a triune false idol. They have brought this uh, system into our public schools, and the intent is to create cultural Marxism and to pit straight people against the LGBTQIA plus community. And through this inclusion notion, children are receiving God-awful material at their fingertips. And so the school board the following week came up with a plan in order to make it seem as if they heard my request. They really created a plan where they doubled down and made it even more difficult to remove these books from the public school system in Wake County. I heard from a teacher yesterday who told me that at a school in Wake County, a gentleman came, uh, his, his name is Chris Barton, he's an author, and he brought his book called Glitter, Glitter Everywhere. It's a shiny book, and he read to students who were in the pre-K school and K through five students, and he talked to them about glitter being everywhere, even in churches when they mix ash with glitter. That book uses the Christian faith as a means of telling children that if you espouse to be a transgender, this is okay, this is acceptable, and even God accepts it. Do you have kids in the school system? What, what, what provoked you to get so heavily involved? Well, first and foremost, my tax dollars pay for children to go to the school system. And wherever my money goes, my input goes, my feedback goes, and my response about what takes place goes as well. Also, I'm a youth pastor, and 75% of the students in North Carolina go to a public school. I am concerned about all children in Wake County, in North Carolina, and around the country. And what I'm doing is traveling around the country and speaking at churches, events, and political events, political events, and school boards, and I'm calling for men to get on the front lines. It's time for men to stop being neutered. We have allowed feminists to chew us up and spit us out. Our men need to draw the line in the sand. The Bible tells us that the glory of the man is the woman. And today we see men robbing women of their glory. And what are preachers saying about it? 
Jason, what are preachers saying? They're not saying anything, especially preachers who look like me. Many of the black preachers today are woke. They are silent. They won't speak against these issues because they are more Democrat than they are Christian. They've grabbed hold to the donkey, but they have relinquished the cross. And I'm sending a siren. I am yelling fire and screaming fire and telling men to wake up up grab your testosterone go down to a local school board meeting and make your voice heard and some will label this as toxic masculinity but let me tell you what i think about that what's toxic is when a man is weak that's toxic when a man is spineless there are three things that preachers and in particular men need they need a jawbone a backbone and a tailbone They need a jawbone so that they can speak up, a backbone so that they can stand up, and a tailbone so that they can hold up. But today, many of our men are jawless. They are spineless, and they're light in the pants. It's time for courageous men to defend and protect the honor of women. John, you play football at a high level at NC State, played with some great players. Are, are you as shocked as I am? And by the way, let me say, let me add this. You're very lucky, you, you know, you're 15, 20 years younger than me and you never had to face me. Uh, you're very, you should thank God for that. Uh, but are you as shocked as I am that athletes have gone down this Marxist woke path? Yes, I am, especially black athletes. Um, I say this all the time that blacks have become the cheap prostitutes of the Democrat Party. They screw us and barely pay us and we keep coming back for more. Many of our athletes are on the wrong side of the faith, on the wrong side of history, and they're supporting a political party that from its inception has desired to destroy the black family. And I don't know why these athletes are doing this. Maybe they're doing it for marketing contracts and maybe maybe they don't want to sound like a Christian or hold true to their faith. You know, everyone likes to celebrate at the end of the game and point up to the sky and say, we thank God for the victory today. But when it comes for standing for truth, when it comes from um, when it comes to standing against critical race theory, which is what I call the Jim Crow era in reverse, where blacks are attempting to do Uh, to whites what was once done to them. It's not to the same extent, but it has some of the same implications within it. When it comes to the abortion industry, we know how many black babies have been killed and eradicated and uh, defeated in this country. We know how many black babies have been murdered, 20 million. But our leading athletes, they won't touch that with a 10 foot pole. You wanna know why? They're cowards. They are strong men, tall men, physically robust men. But as a former football player, I was pound for pound the strongest player on NC State's football team. There's something that I've come to find out, that many athletes are physically strong, but they're mentally weak. And this is why they cower to these ideologies. And today, I'm not looking for the giant. I'm not looking for the six foot ten, 500-pound guy. I'm looking for the guy who has a heart like David. There are three kinds of men. You have your Davids, 
You have your Jonathans and you have your Saul's. Saul, when he was presented as king, he went and hid. He was the tallest person around, biggest one, but he hid. Jonathan will always be a friend to a David. He's not so much a warrior, but he'll fight if someone pulls him in the ring. But then you have your Davids, who is looking for the, for the Goliaths of our day. You have your Davids who are looking for the lion and the bear. They poke the bear, but they also try to make a fur coat out of the bear. These are the kind of men who will speak the truth whether they risk being canceled, whether they risk being labeled as a homophobe, as a bigot, a hate monger, whatever it might be, we need Davids and Jonathans to arise. John, man, you're, you're preaching everything that I believe. I want to do everything in my power to elevate your voice and, and assist you. you in any way. Yeah. Th that's part of my mission here with this program is to just young guys like yourself. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you because, I, you know, everybody watches the show. No, I talk like this all the time. I'm just informing you. I look for guys that are believers, have a wife and a family, yes. represent, stand on that biblical truth, and then I, I try because I, I live such a worldly, sinful life and 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 have, you know, course corrected, repented and all that other stuff. But I, I made mistakes and I, I chose the world and money and, and celebrity and, and cheap women and, and all of that way too often. And I don't want to despise some of my ex-girlfriends. I'm not talking about you, but. You know why we broke up. Uh, <laughs> I made some really bad choices. Uh, and so what I try to do is elevate guys like yourself. And so these guys are doing it right. And so I, I, I want to uh, invite you into our little fearless family. We, we just sure. completed our first men's summit uh, where we brought men here to Nashville to talk about embracing real manhood, Christian manhood. Thank God for Jesus's masculinity uh, or, or we'd all be in a world of hurt. And so I, as 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 much as you're available, I just want to invite you on our team and, and mm. pro provide some speaking opportunities for you because, you know, we brought guys in to speak and we paid them and mm. uh, the audience loved it. Uh, the, the other thing I'll do just because you're such a talented speaker, I'm going to give you a couple little of my pearls of wisdom that I think fit in uh, with some of the things you've already said today. I don't like it when people say the, the left makes this argument about being on the right side of history. And as <clears throat> believers, we always just want to be on the right side of God because history is going to be written by whoever wins the war. And in America, Satan may win the war. He's off to a nice start. Mm. And so he's going to mm. continue to write history. We want to be on the right side of God. The other thing I love to say, I love to tell people is, I don't like saying diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's diversity, inclusion, and equity. It's D-I-E. They're killing us with D-I-E. And then the last thing, and this may be too spicy for a minister, but I call this LGBTQ crowd the alphabet mafia. And, and that, that's I, what is, it operates 
just like the mafia. It's it's not just the LGBTQ. It's BLM. It's, it's all these different letter groups. FBI, the alphabet mafia is destroying us. So any, I, I, I'm I'm licensing you to if if at any time you want to incorporate that into because you got a way with words. You're profound. I, I love it. Uh, but I, I, I do. I just want to make you a part of our family and uplift you and celebrate you and make sure as many people, and I know you're doing a great job already, but anything we can do to help, we want to do. Well, thank you so much. I accept wholeheartedly that offer and invitation. I look forward to coming alongside you and doing what I can. What is your long-term goal? I listen to you speak and I say, Does he have an interest in politics? Well, um, people have asked me that here lately quite a bit. They ask they they ask me, they say, John, you know, you you really have a way with words and you are strong on the issues. Do you plan on running? And my response right now is, yes, I'm running. I'm chasing after my wife of 15 years and my three children right now. And when the Lord gives me the direction to throw my hat in the ring, I'll do it. I'm really just John the Baptist, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That may come, but for now, I'll continue to do what I'm doing. How about... Because I go through this struggle, and part of our show, uh, it, it, it does, we, we're trying to communicate to the black community and wake us up. That like, hey man, you signed up for the party of Satan. You've chosen a political identity over a Christian identity. How are black people at your church or in your community responding to you and your message? They love it. They recognize that the truth is being spoken. You know, more blacks oftentimes are more conservative than um, the voting statistics prove and show. And you probably know that as well. But sometimes we seem to vote one way and pray another. That's another dilemma. That's probably another topic for (laughs) for another lengthy podcast. But um, that's something that we're working on. And at the end of the day, I don't get my talking points from the RNC or the DNC. I get my talking points from the B.I.B.L.E. And so at the end of the day, we know that we do want to win the political battle because politics shapes our culture. But we know that all of this is going to be burned up. Christ shall return. He's going to separate the, um, the sheep from the goat, the wheat from the tares. And in the meanwhile, we're called to occupy until he comes. And so what we're doing as a ministry, the Upper Room Church of God in Christ, Bishop Wood and myself and all of the several other people who stand alongside him, we are shouting to the top of our lungs to get back to biblical authority. Christians, we must have a biblical worldview. We must see the world from the lenses of Scripture. We can't hem and haw. We can't equivocate. You know, John the Baptist said when they called him forth, he he said, did you think you came out here to see a reed shaking in the wind? (laughs) Did Did you think you came out to see a weak, flimsy man blown by the whims of culture? No, he was resolute. 
And black America needs to get back to being resolute. We got to get back to where we were in the 40s and the 50s and part of the 60s. The focus was faith, family and education void of special interest. We got to get back to that place. Finally, I want you to pitch your book, Erase. What's that about? Where can people get it? You can go to everywhere, everywhere books are sold. The majority of books are sold on Amazon. So please go to Amazon and get a copy of this book. Uh, this book really frameworks the racist tentacles of the abortion industry, uh, Margaret Sanger, and the critical race theory movement. Everywhere we go, we're hearing that blacks are victims and woe is me. Critical race theory is really a grievance study. And today it seems as if everyone has an ax to grind. America is too racist. America holds us back. I can't get anywhere because of the white man. The white man is holding me down. The white man isn't holding us down. What's holding black America back is fatherlessness and people not taking advantage of the opportunities that we have and failing to submit to accountability. This book is a spiritual jolt and a shot in the arm for those who want to know how to winsomely address critical race theory and abortion. Go get a copy of this book. Purchase as many as possible. I'm fighting against books like this, right? This is the junk that makes its way into our public schools. These authors become New York Times best sailors. Sellers. I'm asking everyone to purchase boxes, cases, pass this book out. Sell me out. Let's make sure we get this book on the New York Times bestseller list. You can go to johnamanchukwu.com. If you want to book me for an event, you can go there. If you want to support the work that I'm doing through the Erased Project, you can do that as well. I'm traveling to school boards and I need your support. I want to come to a school board near you, where I can go and speak about these issues and raise my voice and do something other than whine and complain about the opportunities that God has given me, I can stand in the gap and defend and fight for children. Tell me that website again. I'm going right now to, to throw some money your way. John Amanchukwu.com. I'll spell it A-M-A-N-C-H-U-K-W-U.com. Crap. There it is. <laughs> I need this. A-M-A-N-C-H-U-U-U-K-W-U. Oh, never mind. It came up. It popped up. Never. I got it now. Once I put the U in, it popped up. All right. I'm, I'm donating right now. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, you will be hearing from us. Don't duck us yes. when we call. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God you never had to face me. I would have I destroyed you. I was a Ball State offensive <laughs> lineman. You would have had no shot, uh, John. Uh, anyway, thank you, brother. Thank you so much. You Stephen Wolf. Next. All right, welcome back. An interview I've been looking forward to uh, for the past week. We're about to have with Stephen Wolf. He wrote a book 
about Christian nationalism. I think it's the case for Christian nationalism. Uh, it's, it's a book that uh, Virgil Walker, who we'll hear from uh, after our, our interview with Stephen Wolf, uh, is, is critical of. I think I'm a defender of Stephen Wolf, so uh, it'll be an interesting conversation between Virgil and I. Uh, I believe late last week or early last week, Stephen Wolf had a tweet that some people took exception to. I did not. Uh, he, he tweeted out that uh, basically white evangelicals are uh, the last, are the only hope or the, the lone bulwark uh, fighting against the moral insanity in America. Uh, I understand why Virgil and, and uh, Virgil's partner, Daryl Harrison, were somewhat offended by this because they're in the evangelical space, they're black. Uh, they're fighting tooth and nail against this moral insanity that has overtaken America. But I read the tweet and, and didn't take it as it eliminates Virgil, Daryl, myself, or anybody. It just says there's a certain demographic uh, that in mass is, is fighting this moral insanity and there's a demographic that, uh, a racial demographic that I'm a part of, that many of us call ourselves evangelicals, but we seem to be on board with the moral insanity, abortion, transgenderism, same-sex marriage, all of it we seem to be on board with. Uh, and so, you know, because we've pledged our allegiance to the Democrat Party, rather than God and those words in the Bible. And so I, I, I said, I don't find this offensive. I find it concerning that we're not mentioned as part of the demographic that's fighting this moral insanity. That had been the history of black Americans in America. We were always part of that bulwark fighting against moral insanity, slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, unequal opportunities. We had been the bulwark fighting against moral insanity. And now, as I look in my adult age and now old age, like what happened to us? Why are we on this political team that seems to be embracing all the moral insanity, and we seem to be on board with it. But I want to let uh, Stephen Wolf make his own case, and I want to hear from Stephen Wolf. I want to probe him a bit about his book, uh, and then we'll hear from Virgil Walker. Uh, Stephen Wolf, welcome to Fearless. Uh, glad you've made the time. And so we'll start with your tweet. What were you trying to say? Well, I mean, first of all, thank you for having me on on the program. It's an honor. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the tweet got a lot of attention. I, I that I didn't entirely expect. I fi I figured to be an above average tweet, <laughs> but not one that got this much attention. Uh, I, I what I was trying to do is actually trying to praise a demographic of people uh, who have been attacked relentlessly for the last several years. I mean, if you think of just one of the best-selling books uh, in in my circle, maybe our circles, 
uh, is this Jesus John Wayne book, uh, the subtitle being How White Evangelicals Corrupted the Faith. And so, and then if you look at, uh, it seems weekly, you have a David French column that's attacking white evangelicals. And just relentlessly. And so as I was thinking, you know what, there is something to praise about these people. I, I myself am Protestant. I'm not sure if I'd fit perfectly within the evangelical uh, demographic, but but there is something to praise these people for holding firm uh, through all these years, despite the relentless tax, not only from people kind of outside their camp, but within the, their camp as well. I mean, you think even the, the um, kind of historic publication Christianity Today wrote article after article uh, denouncing white evangelicals as having spiritual darkness, attacking them as hip- hypocrites and, and xenophobic and just uh, constant over and over. And yet the most reliable uh, voting block for the GOP, and as, as bad as the GOP can be and is, uh, it still is at least the, uh, the, the, the party that, that can put up a resistance to some of this insanity. Uh, but the, the evangelicals have continued to support them, and and so in that sense, it, the they have been they are the sort of lone bulwark as a group. I mean, I understand it's it'd be ridiculous to suggest that people like yourself and uh, and uh, Virgil Walker are not part of uh, this movement of resistance. I mean, that would not only be wrong to say, it would also be stupid to say. And so I do not affirm that. But if you take it as a group, as you kind of preface this, like me, uh, preface the, this interview, uh, it's it's just the case that 80% of evangel- white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, uh, whereas other demographics uh, were less of that, or even or even a majority for the Democrats. So um, I think at least in this area, we should give a, a, extend some praise and. And recognition, um, along with others as well, but specifically this group as well. So, uh, this is—I don't. This point I'm about to make, I don't think, is really germane to the conversation we're having right now. But, but what some people will hear is—is is you say white evangelicals fighting the moral insanity, and then you say, and that group voted for Donald Trump, and so I think. You can fight moral insanity without voting for Donald Trump. I don't think you can fight moral insanity while voting for Joe Biden or any of these leftists that are promoting. But it just, and not that I have a problem with anybody that voted for Donald Trump. When Donald Trump Mm -hmm. runs in 2024 for the first time in my life, I'll be voting and I'll be voting for Donald Trump. So I don't have a problem with Donald Trump. But some people, when you hear, oh, they're fighting moral insanity and they're voting for Donald Trump, they go, well, he ain't the most moral guy and he's not much of a Christian if if he is. And so it's just off-putting. And so I I don't want to nitpick your words because I think some people are. I think your sentiment is a thousand percent on target. I think it needs to be discussed and talked about. Why are white evangelicals in large numbers the lone bulwark fight that's upset about the moral insanity that's going on? Obviously, there's me, there's Virgil, there's a bunch of people that come on this show. My contributors, we're all right in there, but we're seen as oddballs as black people uh, because how come you're not with the other 90 percent? 
that, that yeah. uh, seem to be signing off on all of this moral insanity as long as they get some power out of it. And, and so I just don't have a problem with the tweet. And, and so I want to push that to the side and okay. have a bigger discussion. I want you to unpack Christian nationalism, your case for Christian nationalism, what you think it is, and, and, mm. and whether or not should black people be concerned about Christian nationalism, should, but first, before I get into any racial components, just unpack your case for Christian nationalism. What is it? What does it mean? How do we implement it? Yeah, well, thanks for letting me talk about it. Uh, it it's a, I think it's a, a term that Christians, like, despite the fact that it's been derided, it's a term of derision, it's used as pejorative against, uh, it's usually framed as white Christian nationalism. I, I think it's a term that we can reclaim, and I think we should not be afraid of, first of all, the term nationalism, and also the term Christian. Uh, one of the reasons why I think that we should think more in terms of nationalism is that we we do have a nation that is the United States. It's a nation contained, I guess, and uh, we should identify as that nation. And I and but we should also we should be reinvigorated and revitalized for action, such that we can make a positive moral change within the United States. Uh, and that's that's the nationalism part. I think we should say, look, we have a country, and we ought to try to keep it. Uh, and in in doing so, we need to. We need to have the will for for action, the will to vote properly, the will to uh, see people. Other, I think other um, groups, as particular the left, as destructive of uh, of not only our own values but also historic values of the country, and see them as people that we ought to um, defeat. Uh, that, that, so that's kind of the nationalist side. Um, the Christian nationalism is going to be influenced by Christianity, but also see that this country from the beginning and prior to it was a Christian country, um, not only in, in laws, uh, but also, and more importantly, in culture and society and self-understanding. Uh, and, and as such, we should seek as Christians to maintain that and also reassert it um, and see that our land is, is Christian in institutions and in laws and culture in morality. And uh, so that's, but I mean, I guess to get to the definition of Christian nationalism, I, I see it as applicable anywhere. It's not just American Christian nationalism. It could be Hungarian Christian nationalism. It could be any, any sorts of Christian nationalisms. But I see it as a, as a people, uh, a Christian people identifying themselves as that, seeing we are Christian. We are a Christian nation. We're a Christian people. And we are going to act and, um, constitute ourselves and arrange ourselves and establish laws and customs that are Christian and that conduce to our good, that are for our good as Christians, which includes not only the goods of kind of a good vocation, a good economy, kind of a commodious uh, living where we can live in peace with one another and love one another and serve one another, but even the highest things as well, such that we encourage one another through custom and, and perhaps even uh, when the occasion rises through law, to uh, be to seek eternal life, to uh, um, I guess it most practically would be supporting the local instituted church, uh, and uh, the, the sort of things that lead us beyond this this life to the next. So I think the fundamental part of the Christian nationalism, the Christian part, is saying you know what, earthly life is great, but there's a higher life, 
and we ought to order that lower life to the higher in, in, in various ways. And so I think that's the principal part of the Christian and, and, and the Christian aspect. And I, and I think this was evident within much of our history. Uh, it's only been within the last few decades that uh, we've kind of secularized all the institutions. But prior to that, this country was Christian, understood to be Christian. Of course, there were differences and disagreements and strife, all, all that sort of thing. Uh, but there was still, among both left and right, uh, for a long, long time, that we're a Christian country. It was really how that Christianity played its way out into the public square. Uh, that That's really the, the disagreement. So I'd rather go to that, go back to that disagreement than going to the disagreement as to whether we should mutilate children or have abortion or that sort of thing. I'd rather jump back into those old wars than these new ones. And so why do you think some people are unpacking because I the explanation you just gave I totally believe in and agree with I'm I'm looking at people like say a Bill Maher who's built an entire brand around being against religion and religion is crazy Mm -hmm. but I'm watching him in real time figure out like hey I'm still an atheist but I have to admit that Judeo-Christian culture allowed me some freedoms that this secular woke culture is taking away from me. And so I'm looking at Bill Maher in real time, figure out that like Christian values actually serve non-believers too. And, and mm. I, I just don't understand why everybody can't recognize that, that when we all had kind of an agreed upon truth and foundation that we based American society on, it worked for everybody. Was it perfect at its inception, allowing slavery and all and that? No, but, but those documents that were built from a biblical worldview, the Constitution, Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, allowed for the elimination and made the elimination of slavery inevitable. This stuff just seems elementary to me. And, and, and I'm looking at atheists, figure it out. The, Bill Maher is <laughs> never going to be religious. But I do think <laughs> at some point in our <clears throat> lifetime, he's going to admit, man, that Christian culture better than this garbage we got now. Yeah, and it's not just that it's Christian culture, it's an American Christian culture, because there's other Christian cultures in Europe and other places that have actually are worse in in terms of like legal censorship. You can think of even England, our kind of our, our sister country in a way, um, has is actively using the law for, for censorship. Uh, whereas in the United States, it's very cultural and social and, and in some non-governmental institutions, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, but it's part of, yeah, it's been part of our tradition that we've held firm for a long time, I, especially, I mean, you just think of what are the what are the unique and exceptional parts, uh, aspects of the United States history is just take the 19th century. We had, lo- we had no church establishment after 1830. So some of the states after the founding for a few decades had church establishments of sorts. But once there was complete disestablishment of religion at the state level, there still was high religiosity. There was still an expectation that if you're an American, you're still you're going to be a Christian. Kind of this social sort of social agreement that you don't want to come out and say that you're not religious. Uh, but the point being that there was a, a wide variety of 
you know, theological conceptions from Unitarian to even these transcendentalists to, you know, your typical Protestant and Roman Catholic uh, uh, theologies. Um, but there was there was a pretty widespread, remarkable toleration. And then you, you get into the 20th century and even today, and there still is that sense of toleration. But who is carrying that over? Now, this I wouldn't say it's only white evangelicals. I'd say it's just people who are connected to the American tradition, which includes a lot of white evangelicals, people like yourself and others um, who are kind of resisting. Well, who actually represents America as it was? And uh, it was it's actually us who are saying, you know, uh, that you uh, you can you can have free speech, you have freedom of association, you have freedom of religion. All these things are basic American values that are are right now being kind of overturned, and and constructing a kind of new America. Whereas I think conservatives, broadly speaking, regardless of race and all that, are representing an old America that is really kind of dying away. It's it's being attacked. And, uh, and part of my, I, we don't have to get back to the original, original tweet was just simply to say that, look, like th- these people you attack relentlessly all the time on MSNBC and in the dispatch and wherever now New York times, um, these people, uh, are, are resisting and they're actually represent largely the old America. Uh, and, but now just speaking broadly again, um, the, the, that's old. That the, we are like old America trying to reestablish and reassert those principles, and they're just under under attack. And I think this new America is really not America at all, uh, and it's worthy of resisting it. I, I certainly think it is, and I certainly understand as a white American man why you would be a bit defensive and have your dukes up, because you are getting trashed in popular culture. It's legal to say anything you want about a white man and there's no repercussions from it. If, 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 yeah. if, if, you, if someone says, hey, Jason Whitlock likes fried chicken, I can play the victim and say, oh, that's racist and that reminds me of slavery and that guy needs to lose his job because Jason Whitlock likes fried chicken. Facts are, I like fried chicken period, end of story. I don't know any men that don't, black or white, but <laughs> regardless, <laughs> I, I don't want to make light of, the, of this discussion. But again, it's it just speaks to how you can virtually say nothing about LGBTQ, black mm. people, women, uh, certainly transgender people. You can't even say their farts stink or, you know, you're transphobic. And, and so, but with the white guy, you can just trash them in generalities. And so I just think a natural pushback and defensiveness and someone pushing out a tweet saying, hey, look, we're not all bad, or at least we're <laughs> fighting the moral insanity. <laughs> just, yeah. I just, I get it. But tell me this, it's to me what corporate media has done and, and some people interpret Christian nationalism as racist and as what we really want is a white male dominated society when i hear christian nationalism i hear now we want a biblically dominated society where men are called upon to live up to the roles spelled out in the bible and marriage is between one man and one woman, 
and just, uh, I, I don't hear the racial component, but everybody else is telling me I should. Why are they doing that? What would be your defense from that? Help me understand, is, is there some racial component to your case? For, I have not read your book, and so I'm saying maybe, the, maybe you talk about race quite a bit in your book uh, that, that makes people uncomfortable. Is there something yeah. in that book that makes people uncomfortable? Uh, I, so I do not talk uh, a lot about race in the book. Um, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But first, the what's interesting about the survey data on Christian nationalism. So the way the sociologists measured, and and by and large, the sociologists are not very impressive academics, and they, they just use that this as a um, an ambitious way to become uh, in the spotlight by the regime, because of course they want these experts to talk about this thing um, called Christian nationalism. But when they did actually use, uh, uh, kind of decide upon a metric to determine what is a Christian nationalist, they had a surprising result. Of course, they tailored the metric to try to capture that white male evangelical to get him. He believed, they believe these are the Christian nationalists. But this, what's, what's surprising is they actually, in the end, black Christians turn out to be Christian nationalists as well. So, I mean, so within their actual books, they, they want to, they really want to talk about the white evangelical, but th then they have to deal with this other in interesting thing in the data, which says that black Christians are, um, are on the side of, you know, are, are, are with white Christians in Christian nationalism. So they have to explain it away and all that. So that that's one interesting thing. And, and these are questions like, do you think biblical values should be uh, brought into American culture and civic life? Things like, do you think this is a Christian country? Uh, there's um, uh, some other, I forget some of, the, some of the other ones at the moment. But, but generally speaking, it captures a lot of black people as well. Uh, it, in my book, I, I, I say that a nation is uh, are people of similarities, so cultural similarities, historical similarities. But I, I explicitly deny that that's a racial component, that there's some sort of biological distinction between someone like you and me um, on the basis of race, and that, uh, in, in fact, the, these, these commonalities, you know, things like if did you, like, did, did you fight in, did, did your ancestors kind of fight in a common national war together, like in Vietnam, or did you all serve in the military together, or do you live in a community together where you, you know, freely kind of converse and exchange and that sort of thing. So it, it, I do think, like, I don't think we should not think of a nation as just any like random abstract individuals in, in the same spot as if it's okay, you're in this place now, you're, you're one of us. Uh, but there is a historical uh, intergenerational connection between the people and the place, and that will make up a nation. But again, it's not on the basis of race. I, uh, my Christian nationalism is not white nationalist. I explicitly say it's not in the book. I, I think people just get uncomfortable when you start talking about a nation as a as a people that have similarities, because then you start thinking, well, then who's in and out? And it raises that question, which is a legitimate question uh, for you know to to discuss. Um, but but again, I mean, it's it's not a racial it's not a racialist account of the nation. So here's where I might express it differently, and you tell me okay. if this is what you're trying to 
express. I think you're saying similarities. I want to live in a nation and in a neighborhood, in a community, in my apartment, condos, homes, whatever. I want to live among people that I have shared values with. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm attracted to Christians. I like working with them. I like interacting, engaging with them because we have some shared values. I have atheist friends who I have shared values with, or I used to, and you know, many of them now don't speak to me because, you know, uh, but it's not, I, I would still be friends with an atheist and, and mm-hmm. love atheist people or whatever, but I, w- I want to be in a community of people I have shared values with. I've explained this to many of my friends who have similar values to me. I've watched them raise their kids, and then I've watched their kids get married to people who they share values with who don't look like them. And, 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 and I say all that to say that the Democrat left has gone so far secular and so far anti-God, I've said it on Tucker Carlson, I don't have a lot of shared values with them. I don't have shared values with people that think killing a baby in the womb is one of the most important freedoms we have. I, I just don't. And, and so when you have that kind of outlook on life in the womb, it makes me wonder, oh, man, what's your outlook on life outside the womb? And, and so is, is shared values, perhaps, is that the same thing you're talking about, a, a nation of people with, with shared values? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, shared, I think that values is not just, I think the difference though is I don't think shared values is, is just like abstract morality. I think there's, there's ways that different people can fulfill the same moral principle. So you can have, I mean, so you, you can think of a, a Christian from uh, a foreign country, like maybe like an Eastern country that we could, we could get along really well with them as fellow Christians, but it's not obvious that we would, uh, we would, we would fit well together in the same community. Um, simply because of cultural differences, not because of race or biology. Um, whereas in the United States, I mean, you can see, you just go to a, a lot of uh, churches where it's actually very multi, multi-ethnic or multiracial, and people get along just fine. But that's usually because there's a basic core v- set of values that they all share, and they just do fine together. So, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I would just say, I think there are, I, I guess I just think that you could have different Christian cultures where they actually are very different and and uh, and are not always 100% compatible. Uh, but I think in the American context, there is this kind of assimilating of force, particularly in evangelicalism. You see this with you know Hispanics uh, who who arrive here and they become naturalized and citizens, and they oftentimes they'll convert to evangelicalism or convert to Protestantism. And there is that becomes a, a a part of the process of assimilation is kind of sharing a religion in these churches together, um, and such that there really is no kind of cultural ethnic barrier between the people in that church. So I, I would I 100% agree with you um, that shared values is shared Christian values can can kind of be that basis for a thriving community. 
But if you don't have those those values, I mean, nowadays the difficulty is if you live in a place and you have secularist, atheist neighbors, um, or you have very nominal kind of lefty Christians, I guess, uh, over there, you don't know what, if your kid goes over to their house, you don't know what they're going to say, what they're going to teach the kid. Uh, and it it makes you kind of nostalgic for a time, and, and maybe you grew up in such a time, uh, but, but I didn't. Um, but this kind of time where you could send your kids off into the neighborhood into someone else's house and you meet a new kid, and there's just this general expectation that you're at least nominally a Christian, you don't say this or that, you don't believe this or that. There is somewhat of a common goal in mind between raising kids. Now it just appears that you got old and new American America, and that new America is just morally insane. <laughs> and so you're, your parents nowadays, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like um, Annie Griffith's show Mayberry, where you kind of let Opie just run around all over the place and get in trouble and everyone's helping him out. And uh, it's not like that. Nowadays, parents have to be uh, remarkably vigilant and know precisely who they're talking with, what they're, ta- what they're talking about. And so there, yeah, um, and, and that's really there's what, no shared what, values. It, yeah, there, there's no shared values. Is the you know if if one family values family and values their kids being home when the street lights come on and the next door neighbors uh, want doesn't have a parent maybe he's being raised by his auntie and and there is no supervision. Yeah, you don't feel comfortable. Oh, if I let my kids go over to their house, there's no supervision. There's more likelihood that something bad could happen to my child and blah, blah, blah. They may be exposed to uh, television shows or music that I don't want my kids listening to. Again, I didn't, when I was a kid, I didn't have, I'm 55. I didn't have to worry about that. You know, there was, you know, I, I, at the very earlier stages of rap music, it wasn't vile, destructive, incredibly profane. Uh, you know, and, and again, I don't blame parents that don't want to expose their kids to that kind of satanic music. Uh, I, I get it. And, 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 you know, so let me ask you this, because it sounds like I don't know. How, how old are you, Stephen? We grew up in different generations. What are you, 40-ish, uh, 35-ish? 40. I'm 40, yeah. Yeah, 40? 40, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you missed the good era. Uh, <laughs> so, so you're reminiscing about something you've actually never experienced. <laughs> I was actually I, I well, was actually No, I actually feel better for you. I was actually blessed better to grow up in a great, mar- uh, uh, great neighborhood with uh, great parents. Oh, okay. But, well, good. But, um, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't exactly Christian. I wish it could have been a little better, but, you know, it wasn't so bad. Let me ask you this, because I've had, uh, uh, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions that uh, Virgil has asked me to ask, and it'll help my discussion afterwards when we react to your interview. But under Christian nationalism, would Bill Maher be required by law or a Christian magistrate to attend, to attend church? Okay, so what this is getting into is what happens here is you you kind of screenshot something from my book, but you don't actually read it in its totality. So I I think that it's permissible for a government to to do things with regard to religion that they've done in the past. So you think like 16th, 17th century, you know, Christian kings doing this or that. 
Uh, but just because something's permissible doesn't mean that it's appropriate. So when I'm writing the book, it's 500 pages, uh, and I lay out a principle that this is permissible, that doesn't mean I'm saying this ought to be the case, this must be the case. If you if you really believe in Christian politics, you must demand this now. So, but no, and, and I, I have, so I, the answer is in the American context and even in the modern foreseeable context, no, you do not force someone like uh, um, Bill Maher to go to church. Um, and so the answer would be no. And I don't say that we ought to. I do think, I will say though, I think atheism is profoundly destructive uh, as it not only religiously, but also morally within a country. And uh, and I think, well, at least the practical, I think that transgenderism uh, and a lot of sexual deviancy stems from a sort of practical a- atheism. And this is one reason why we're seeing it. And so I do think that some means of suppressing atheism would be appropriate. And so that Bill Maher then kind of uh, mocking mocking religion from the airwaves would be something that would I one would hope get them fired. So if I mean if Bill Maher stood up and said something that that we'd all consider racist, he'd be fired immediately. But if he stood up and mocked Jesus, I mean just openly mocked Jesus, he would get a bunch of laughs and then we would maybe tweet out and be mad at him. Uh, but nothing would happen. And so I, I think my view is that in the same way that saying something racist can get you fired and canceled and all that sort of thing, uh, saying something that is uh, offensive and violates, and in this case, we third commandment, that should be should be also suppressed as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that at the at the bare minimum, and I think that's appropriate. And that's again, I think by that's American. law, by law, because again, t- take. Take uh, if I said something transphobic on this show or tweeted it out because of where I work at and because, you know, leadership here is Christian, nothing would happen to me. But if I worked at ESPN, I would be fired immediately at ESPN. But by law, nothing would happen to me. And so that that. Do you, you think the laws or corporations or companies or the culture should because because I agree it's like if if I can't say anything about mutilating kids and the transgender movement I, I damn sure shouldn't be allowed to say anything hostile towards Jesus Christ and but I don't want the law addressing that I. I'd rather the culture make the punishment equal, or I really wish the culture would just shut up and let people say stupid things and let them figure out how stupid they are when they're burning in hell or their life has gone to trash. But, but <laughs> I, yeah, I just, yeah. you want the government monitoring speech, Bill Mars or anybody's uh, ability to say whatever they want? Well, I should say, first of all, I mean, the, the, we did have blasphemy laws in this country even well into the 19th century and, and, and 20th century. So the, the idea that blasphemy can be illegal is actually is not unheard of. Uh, they're, they were upheld by Supreme Court early on. Uh, and so in terms of the principle of the matter, I think it's permissible. I would prefer I would prefer that we that it was not a matter of of law. Uh, I think like if I mean, if we had a state today 
let's say Texas pass a law that says you can't dishonor Christ. I think applying that law would be very, very difficult. Um, what I would prefer is that Christians care enough to assert themselves and say, we're not, we're not going to tolerate this as a, at a so, social and cultural level. I mean, there is that, I mean, it's, it's true. It's, it's just fundamentally true that the people who care more usually win. Uh, and I think Christians in general, they want their first, their first thought is just leave me alone. Okay. You can say what you want, just leave me alone. But I think we've learned that if we, that if we just kind of leave everyone alone or ask to be left alone, they eventually come for us and you can't get away from them. Uh, and so I, I, I do think we as Christians should be more assertive. I mean, one of the interesting things is that if you, if you say something offensive about Muhammad or Allah, the Muslims will you know, lose their minds. And the fact that we know that they'll lose their minds means that we become charged with public disturbance. I mean, this is what happens in the UK over and over and over. Some guy in the, on the street corner says, you know, uh, Muhammad was a false prophet. And then who's arrested? Well, he's, he's arrested for inciting riot or violence or something like that, because everyone knows that if you insult the prophet Muhammad, you're going to get a riot. But if, if, uh, if someone stood up in the street corner of UK and said, Christ is not Lord, Christ was, you know, the, I don't know, whatever the thing they want to say, he wouldn't get arrested because he wouldn't incite a riot because no one would care. <laughs> Everyone would just walk along. Uh, I think, I, and I'm not saying Christians should, should riot and riot, raise up and be ridiculous, but, uh, but, but it just remains the fact that if you don't care, then people are just going to keep continue doing it. But if you if we care more, be more assertive uh, culturally and socially, then uh, um, we can I think we can create an environment in which the dishonoring of Christ is at least second guessed. It's not a humorous joke. It's not funny. It's not there for ha ha's and laughs. Um, but it's actually taken seriously and would prevent people from doing it. Steve. I, I want to end it, but I, I want to give you an opportunity. Perhaps there's something I haven't asked you or something you want to say, some aspect mm. of your book or your mm. tweets that have been misunderstood. I want to give you the final say and, and thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, again, thank you for having me on. I, I think the only thing, I, I don't know what, I, I've never talked to, with Virgil Walker, communicated with him at all. I know he's coming on next. I think one of the things to keep in mind is what I said earlier, is that it's a 500-page book. There's a difference between what's permissible and what's appropriate in any given context. Like most Christians nowadays, they think, oh, what ought, I, what ought to be? And so they say, well, we must do this. Everyone must affirm this, 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 this. I just think what's appropriate for the American political culture is, is not necessarily appropriate for you know Geneva in 1550— so, or vice versa, whatever was appropriate for Geneva in 1550 is not appropriate, certainly not appropriate for 21st century America. So I, I think whatever is quoted or brought out, I think you need to bring in light, in light that things are applicable and, um, and, uh, I don't offer like an absolute blueprint, but I, I mean, again, thank you for having me on. And I think if people read the book, I think they'll understand, uh, kind of where I'm coming from a little better with regard to principle and application, but. I guess that'll be it. Thank you, Stephen. Really yeah, appreciate it. Gracious with your time. Uh, I'm going to check out your book. And uh, Virgil Walker, next.
uh, we're going to roll out to Atlanta, bring in Virgil Walker. Uh, Virgil, you're, you're standing in for uh, Anthony today and yourself. You're playing two roles. Uh, oh, good. Tennessee Harmony. Uh, Virg, uh, Anthony's out of town. And so you're our representation of Tennessee Harmony. So if you could, start us off with a little prayer. I'd be happy to. Father God, we give you uh, just praise. Uh, we worship you. We adore you. We're grateful for the opportunity to, to connect on this platform, in this forum. Uh, our ask would be that you would help us to speak clearly, uh, to articulate truth in a way that's compelling, uh, that you would have those who would hear, uh, that their hearts would be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Uh, thank you for Jason and for all who will get the opportunity to listen uh, to this particular episode this day. We pray that you bless them in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, Virgil, uh, I know you have some thoughts about Christian nationalism. I'm trying to figure out what I think. That's why I wanted to engage with Stephen Wolf. Uh, Stephen, you know, as you just heard, I questioned him about his tweet that you objected to. And, you know, I, I, I did not take offense. I'm actually concerned. I think you have a deeper understanding of Stephen Wolf. You've read his book, The Case. Uh, for reparation, for uh, Christian nationalism. I'm sorry, not for reparation, for Christian nationalism. You've shown me uh, previous tweets that that concern me, particularly th there were parts of my conversation with uh, Stephen Wolf that concerned me. I, I didn't, you know, I tried to ask about, you know, shared values and, and that being the key and the foundational issue, I, I want to live around, socialize with, work with people that I have shared values with. And he kind of stammered on that, that, that kind of made me go, well, hold on, what's he holding back on? He eventually got there, but it, his response made me a little bit uncomfortable and made me think that there may be some sort of ethnic agenda because I haven't read the book that I'm unaware of and that has perhaps triggered you over Twitter about his tweet. Anyway, your reaction to Stephen Wolf and just, we'll, we'll kind of start there when I was asking about shared values and he seemed to indicate before finally relenting that shared values weren't enough. Yeah. What yeah, did you make of that? Yeah, the, it really, the issue around shared values as it relates, I want to directly answer your question. The reason for a guy like Stephen Wolf that shared values aren't sufficient uh, is because they, there's an ethnic component. There's a cultural component uh, that's attached to his brand of Christian nationalism. And by ethnicity, uh, he exchanges the words ethnicity for nation. Uh, when he talks about ethnicity, he means it from a standpoint of blood and place. So he means those who were born in that space who share the same bloodline, but also those uh, who have been in a space or a place for a longer period of time. One of the things that you find that's challenging as you read uh, Wolf's book, as I have, uh, is he vacillates. He'll begin by saying that, you know, ethnicity is has nothing to do with, with color of skin. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, he'll make comments about for, like, things like interracial marriage, where he thinks it's best for, uh, for, for those who are of the same ethnic group, and by that he means skin color, to maintain uh, marriage within those bounds. Now, he doesn't, he, uh, to, to, to be fair, he, doesn't, he never calls intermarriage, what he calls intermarriage, sinful. 
but he does believe that the best uh, set of circumstances would be for those who are of the same blood uh, to marry, to maintain their cultural identity. And so when you have language like that, uh, I don't know about you, but it causes me to pump the brakes uh, and, and ask and ask some deeper questions. Uh, the challenge with, with Wolf often is uh, when you ask deeper questions, the, the, the answers get more vague. Uh, one of the things that he often says is that, you know, he, he's upset because he feels as if people have not read his book. Um, I have read his book. It's a 500 page work. Um, there's a lot that's in it. Unfortunately, uh, I, I believe he could have written the same book uh, in about with about half as many pages. Uh, and the reason is because there's a, there's a, there are a lot of ideas uh, that get convoluted. They're they're not very clear. And the biggest issue is the issue of ethnicity and race. I've witnessed comments that he's made uh, around social media on social media that give me pause. And 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 furthermore, anyone who understands uh, nationalism or nationalistic movements through Europe understand kind of the, the, the Bolshevik, res, uh, 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 you know, the, the Bolshevik revolution where you had European countries who were seg segregated and segmented uh, in the same uh, nation, but their territories were separated on the basis of ethnicity. And each ethnic group were claiming an identity that was connected to their quote unquote race. And so this was their version of nationalism. Historically speaking, you could go back to German nationalism. And what did German nationalism set up? It set up things in place for the Third Reich. And so, wow, let, let, me, let me stop here and say, I'm not saying that Stephen Wolf is trying to, trying to create the Third Reich. I'm not saying that that Stephen Wolf is 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 racist at this point, but he, there's some racialized language that he uses. Um, there's some racialized ideas that he engages in uh, that I think deserve to be looked at and questioned. I am not one to jump on board with these new quote unquote movements that come about. I want to pause. I want to read. I want to I want to know exactly what you mean by what you say before I jump on the movement. I'll, I'll say this and, and turn it back to you. I, I, as it pertains to the word Christian and nationalism, um, I, I think uh, many know, uh, some don't, uh, that I was uh, a part of the military service. I, I wore uh, the, the uniform uh, of our country for the Air Force for, for 12 years. So I have a I have a very proud tradition uh, of service to our nation. Uh, I've worked at the Pentagon. I've done a number of things as it relates to uh, standing up for, fighting for, and being willing, if, if called upon, to give up my life in defense of the Constitution of the United States. So when someone posits ideas, uh, for example, uh, uh, that we should em we should empower a Christian prince, and this is language that's in his book that that Christian prince would have uh, not only political power, but he would also have sanctioned power from the church to do a variety of different things. Uh, in order to implement some of the ideas that he's, that he's positing, we have to allow that Christian prince to do away with things like the First Amendment, freedom of speech. Um, the, we, would, we would have to do away with uh, freedom, of, uh, freedom from state religion. 
uh, the plurality of religious practice would not be something in a Christian nation that would be allowed. Muslims would have to find a new way to express uh, their form of worship. And again, when, when you press these guys on these issues, they're going to say, well, no, that's not what we mean. And, and he kind of even he, he kind of even uh, uh, hinted at that toward the end of the interview uh, as he as he made the statement, you know, we're not talking about Geneva and what he was referring to as, as Calvin, uh, John Calvin in the 1700s, who, you know, who basically had this kind of church uh, governance rule uh, that had problems. And so he, he, he's well, you know, implementing Christian nationalism in America, he said, will look different than it did in Geneva and in, in, you know in the 1700s and so he, he's wanting to make those he's wanting to leave the, the the language and the ideas very vague so that when pressed upon about how are you going to implement that or what's going to happen in these instances uh, he's able to wiggle out and if you and if you if you challenge him too much he'll you know you're you're, you're the racist you're the you're, you're the one that's 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 you know that that has the problem I, I shared my background with the military because I want people to know I'm not I'm not some Johnny come lately who doesn't care about our country uh, I, I do I do emphatically but I'm not it doesn't simply mean that my only choice now, because I'm a patriot, because I care about the sovereignty of a nation, because I care about borders, my it, it, my only option is not, oh, I've got to be a Christian nationalist. Uh, I can affirm the right ideas that are that are attributed to Christian nationalism, but I can also pull back and say, no, that's that's not something that I would agree with because it's not biblical. And then I would make a biblical case. Right now, uh, the the ideas that surround Christian nationalism are such that you make any uh, a statement that's that's not in favor of this quote unquote movement, um, and you're you're outside of uh, you, I mean you're out you're outside of orthodoxy uh, in in the instance of some. So I, I see Christian nationalism as the natural inevitable backlash to the racial idolatry that has taken hold in America and has powered Black Lives Matter and, and much of the news cycle and the godding up of George Floyd and other career criminals who resisted arrest and got in harm's way and found harm. And, and so none of this is surprising to me because it's so offensive the way, uh, you know, we've legalized a way of talking about America and white men and uh, a system that's systemically racist and it's just everything y'all did is poison and toxic. And, 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 for, and for me as a black man, let alone a white guy, but as a black man, I'm like, well, hold on. If America is the most prosperous safest, opportunity-filled place for black people on the planet. How can I just hate uh, the founders, the founding principles, the whole deal? You know, because I just don't believe in that uh, love the fruit, hate the tree deal. And, 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 you know, was the tree perfect? No. Did the tree produce some great fruit through the hard work of a lot of America and a lot sacrifices of a lot of Americans? And so I look at a Stephen Wolf and other white guys that 
are just tired of being smeared and treated like they're the scum of the earth, this seems like a natural reaction. And, and I can't say it's a healthy one. Uh, you know, we have a lot of reactions that aren't healthy and, and they're too emotional and, and they're too divorced from God. And, and so that's where I see you having legitimate concern. Hey, just call yourself nationalist. Take Christian out of it if that's what you want to do. But when you toss the word Christian into it, it's going to rile up Virgil and it's going to make other people like, well, hold on. Is this biblically sound? You're calling yourself Christian. Does everything you do, is this biblically sound? I believe that's your problem. That's exact. That's exactly right, Jason. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you that what we're witnessing with Christian nationalism is a reactionary movement. Uh, and I think you're spot on. They are reacting to everything that they've been experiencing. Uh, white men in particular have been experiencing over the course of the last five years. Uh, it's been it's been crazy for them. Right. Uh, I was talking to a guy uh, the other day who professed to, you know, he, he professes to be a Christian nationalist. And, and you know, he asked me the question. He said, well, what, what, what do I tell what do I tell my white boys? You know, as they're growing up in a culture that has demonized uh, everything that, that that looks like them or related to them. Uh, and, and, and I said, well, I, I, I first jokingly said, well, w- welcome. Welcome to the family. Right. I said, because, you know, as a as a, as a dad of, of black boys, you know, for for decades, we've had to deal with, you know, what we've had to deal with on a, on a uh, as it relates to you know issues of ethnicity and the like. But 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 here's the here's the issue. I don't speak to my boys as black boys. I speak to my boys as young boys who need to grow up into men who I need to arm and equip for every battle they're going to engage. And yes, there will be some battles that they engage that deal with people who look differently than them. But if they engage that battle and attribute that battle to everyone who does not look like them, they're in a war that they cannot win. Um, and, and, and vice versa, if, 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 every, if, if, if this white man tells his white boys that he's got to fight everyone who doesn't look like him. Well, he's he's in a situation where the majority culture soon will be brown or black. And 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 that'll be a battle that he can't win. So if, if we begin to, to divvy up our our heritage, our uh, our nation on the basis of, of of the color of each person's skin, that is an absolute losing battle um, to the back end of the point that you made. When you when you add the word Christian onto anything, I believe it should look different. Uh, so so if you're a Christian nationalist, I'm wondering in my mind, as it pertains to those of us who are in Christ, we recognize that now there are really only two kinds of people on the earth. The two kinds, two, two categories of people. Number one, those who are in Adam and are still in their sin. Uh, and and are and are going to pay the full penalty and wait for their sin against the holy God uh, in hell for eternity apart from repentance. And those of us who are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And as a result of the newness of life that you now have, every facet of your life and interaction should look different. And even those interactions that deal with people who are from from different backgrounds. Uh, It's not that in in Stephen Wolf's world, he thinks that the natural inclination of man is to is to connect with people who look like them, who look like him, 
who think like him, who act like him, who live like him. And, and he's right. That is our natural inclination. But if we're Christians, we should be inclined to live a life that is that, that loves our, our neighbor as ourselves, but even loves and is willing to pray for our enemies. And so all of those uh, walls that divide us and separate and segregate us on the basis of skin color, uh, on the basis of, of some socioeconomic condition, uh, on the basis of some, you know, so, some other other aspect in the way that, that the secular world wants to divide us. We're breaking that down. We recognize that all, all of those walls of separation and division, Ephesians chapter two, have been broken down in Christ uh, and if you're in Christ, we are all one uh, one race of human being. Uh, and, and and while we are different ethnicities, uh, we are a part of one body of Christ. You know, one of the things that cracks me up is we love to talk about, well, if someone doesn't look like you or people that don't look like you. Virgil, Stevie Wonder can tell that me and you look different. Right. Stevie Wonder can tell. He could, he could touch our faces and be like, there's a little more fat on this face. Uh, although it's better looking than Virgil's face, there's a little more fat on one of these I'm faces. I'm trying to catch up on the fat. Uh, catch up on the fat. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but so, you know, this is just this very surface level skin color thing that, that you know, divides us and, and really doesn't speak. And, and so... But, but what I think some people, Stephen Wolf, if I'm just talking honestly and attaching it to the conversation I had with John Amachukwa, who was on earlier, he and I were making the point that uh, there's a Christian section of the black world, the black Christian world, that seems to toss out all Christian values to serve politics. And, and that's what I also think, like Stephen Wolf, he can't compute that. And others can't compute that. It's like, can I really have shared values? They profess the same values as me. They say this book they're basing their life on. But when it comes to abortion, when it comes to the LGBTQ, when it comes to same-sex marriage, when it comes to, it's like, ah, the book doesn't matter. And so I, I can see he and others like, do I really have shared values? They say they have shared values, but in action they don't, and they find that disconcerting, and it makes them perhaps want to give up on seeking common ground and shared values with people that, that again, are, are literally when you're, when you're, the other thing that disconnects them is like, is if part of your approach is, hey, because of what happened to my great-grandmother and my grandmother, I hate America, and it's perfectly fine for me to hate America. And, and that disconnects us. I, I just don't think it's really, things happened to my parents that did not happen to me. I did experience individual unfair racism or whatever you want to call it, but it wasn't part of a system that it was a part of flawed human beings that have been scarred and flawed ever since the garden Right. And, and, and Christians should understand that, but too many Christian churches don't preach that. Any, if something bad happens between them and a white person, the only explanation is racism. Again, once again, they throw the Bible out and won't accept what the Bible has told us. 
No, that person is flawed, his nature is sinful, he needs to get right with God. That's what's sparking that behavior. Right. Now, I, you're, you're spot on. I want to go back to uh, what you, you mentioned, uh, John Amachuka, that that dear brother is a, a is a monster. I mean, he is he is out there telling the truth, telling it like it is, saying it straight and laying the wood to anybody who will listen. Uh, absolutely love that brother. He and I have connected in the past. Um, that's what that's what that's what it looks like. That's what he, he doesn't need to be a Christian nationalist. He's going to school board meetings and standing up for biblical truth. He's, he's confronting culture right where, right where he lives and is, and is attacking the very foundation of, 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 of the political structure that is trying to advance something unbiblical. That's what, that's what faithful Christianity looks like. I don't have to call myself a Christian nationalist to do that. I just show up and go to work because I'm, I'm armed with the truth. I don't need a label. I don't need a title. I don't need anything. We just need to go and do what we do. You'd mentioned uh, the black church. We, Jason, you, myself, guys like John Delano, uh, uh, you know, Chuck Knotts, all of us have, have at one time or another lamented what we're seeing happening in black churches who have abandoned many of whom, not all, not all, not all, but many of whom have abandoned a biblical worldview altogether embraced the world, connected themselves with the demonic Democratic Party, and have made the decision that, that, they're, that they're on a path absolutely to hell. Uh, and, unless they turn and repent of this nonsense and listen to the voices that are trying to, trying to stop their, their, their demise, we're we, we their best friends. We're the ones who care enough to tell them the truth. For these white guys who are seeing this and are disenfranchised, what they need to do is they need to connect with guys like you and me. And, and begin sharing the truth and telling the truth and declaring the truth, not because they're white or because I'm black, but because the truth is the truth. And, and, and we know that if, if, if the truth gets declared, it, it, it is what will, will, what will actually set people free. Right. We need to, that's what we need to be about. Um, the, the idea that we're going to find this establish this Christian nation on the basis of some ethnic divide and we'll go and I've got mine and you've got yours and we'll go be separate. That's that is not a biblical framework. And, and again, I, I recognize that there are a myriad of different definitions of this thing called Christian nationalism right now, because of the book, because of a, of a 490 some odd page book that Stephen Wolf has written. Everybody is talking about his version of it. Uh, people have actual definitions from him to work off of. And so everyone else is just kind of they're, they're swimming upstream. They're trying to figure out what they believe it to be, what how they want to express it. But but the, the version of it that 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 I'm challenging at this point is the one that Stephen Wolf uh, presents. In fact, I've got an article that will drop tomorrow uh, that really asks the question, uh, is this is Wolf's version of Christian nationalism at the intersection of nationalism and ethnocentrism, and 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 I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna push that that it, it actually is. There's a he he's he's there's a there's a dance that he's dancing that's far too close to an ethnocentric view that that eventually lends itself to uh, to, to to the kinds of things we talked about with the Third Reich and other things. Again, I'm not calling him that. I don't I don't want to I don't want to be said to, to to say that that he's Hitler. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there's some very um, there's there's some issues with regard to what he's presenting uh, that are concerning, 
And rather than jump on board, and now we're all Christian nationalists, let's pump the brakes, go back to the Bible, and then operate in the way that men like uh, John Amanchukwa are, are are operating. That's that's full-throated, real manly, uh, 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 biblical Christianity. <laughs> if you if you ever met John, he's he's a big old boy. That's that's manly Christianity right there, going and confronting the culture. How do you square Bodhi Bakum's? Uh, support and version of Christian nationalism. Yeah, Bo- Bodhi's a dear friend of mine, and and within um, you know reform circles, within Christian circles, within Christian evangelicalism. If I can broaden it out a little bit, I, I think I think there's room for people to say, okay, I'm a Christian nationalist, and here's what it means. Right. I think Bodhi has done that. He's got a very light version of it. I would call what Bodhi is talking about more more kind of a a patriotic. uh, uh, I wouldn't call it nationalism. I, I, you know, maybe maybe patriotism, maybe faithful Christianity, uh, maybe Christianity in the public square, uh, confronting the culture with biblical worldview. Um, That's really more of what Bodhi's is. Um, And so I think I think there's room for for friendly debate and challenge about those things. But I, I, I do, I would argue that Wolf's version of Christian nationalism is something that we should reject. We should absolutely reject it. Thank you so much, Virgil. Great job as always. We'll talk to you later. We'll cue up some harmony and we'll see you tomorrow. So divided, stop fighting and stand tall. We used to be a nation, one united. Now we're headed for a downfall. God let your light shine down. What we need more than anything now. Get to me Open up your eyes and see